Hello, and welcome in to the most recent installment of the Stomp the Bus podcast. I'm Mark Harris, here with Colton Dodgson, and we are coming to you for the first time in over a month after an ASU victory. One possible. Yeah, seriously, one that uh, not everyone expected, that's for sure. Uh, ASU heads into the bye at 2-4 and four after beating uh, then number 21 Washington, 45-38. to 38. Uh, Crazy game. Emory Jones goes down uh, in the first half, late first quarter, second quarter. I'll have to look that up. But early in the first half, uh, and Trenton Bourget comes in, plays wonderfully. Um, three touchdown passes for Bourget. Uh, Valde had an excellent game, 23 carries for 111 yards and a touchdown. He also caught a touchdown. Elijah Badger continues to improve. Seven catches, 53 yards, and two touchdowns. It was just an excellent uh, offensive showing, albeit against not that great of a defense, but uh, definitely the win of the year so far and you know, a step in the right direction uh, for Sean Aguano. Yeah, it's a tight race between this win and the NAU win, but I would say this <laughs> one is just a hair better. Um, and yeah, obviously the defense isn't great. That's what we talked about on our last show. Um, Washington's defense, that is, isn't the best mm-hmm. defensive unit in the country by any stretch. Probably bottom, I don't know, three and even the Pac-12. Not a great defense at all. Um, but I think there is something to be said about being able to match this team score for score, you know, because obviously Washington scores absolutely ASU matches with the field or responds with a field goal, um, scores 21 points in the second quarter. That really was all that they needed. But you look at the, the second half and they Washington and ASU goes back and forth. Obviously, the defense scored a touchdown in there as well. A little um, bit lucky, but hey, shit like yeah. that happens in college football, you know. As long as you take advantage of those yep. opportunities, there's I really no reason to yep. um, hold that against them. But I mean, I'm looking at um, I'm looking at the the scoring chart here. ASU 24 uh, 17 up on Washington, and they punt, and then turnover on downs, and ASU is able to keep the pressure on Washington. Uh, ASU goes up 31 17. Washington comes back and scores. ASU scores another touchdown. Uh, Washington scores again. It's 38-31, and then ASU throws the interception. Washington ties it at 38. All of the pressure is on the offense late in that game. ASU scores 45, um, makes it 45-38. So I think there is something to be said about a backup quarterback coming into a game and obviously not playing the best defense that anybody's ever going to see, but being able to keep his team in a position to respond. Um, yes, and sort of go definitely. back and forth with a top 25 team and um, a really solid offense. You're going to hear some sounds from the game there. Still haven't figured out that ESPN issue that has plagued this show to this point. Um, but, yeah, um, I think there's there's something to be said that Trenton Borgay was able to come into this game and sort of go toe-to-toe with Michael Penix, who yeah. – um, is somebody who I, I was watching the UCLA Washington broadcast. Obviously, this probably isn't the case now. Not that the recent woes of Washington falls on Penix very much. Um, it, it's not his fault or anything like that. But the, one of the broadcasters for that game, I can't remember who it was, said that they would cast a Heisman vote for Penix. Right. Um, and granted, that was two weeks ago. A lot has changed in two weeks for Washington, but. But he wasn't bad in this game. Like No, no. Three touchdowns, 300 yards. He threw the pick six. But um, it's impressive, offensively speaking. It's a very impressive showing to go toe-to-toe like this with not only a conference opponent, um, but a top 25 team. So I was wrong, very wrong, about uh, my virtual lock going to Washington. Um, I I have been um, sort of jaded by the recent struggles of ASU, and that came back to bite me. I'll wear it. I did call the over. That was my easiest play of the day. Um, but I will own my pessimism 
on the side of ASU. How's that hey, work? I get it. Uh, you were not alone based on the attendance of this game. Although it, it was pretty freaking loud in the fourth quarter. Like people, the people that were there making noise, but, uh. Yeah, I was, I was watching a stream because obviously you can't get the Pac-12 anywhere. Right. Um, and it looked like a high school game in a very small, well, no, no, because I think small towns care about high school football a lot. But a very, very uh, poor, poor turnout. I, my analogy kind of went off the rails there, but that's okay. Um, the turnout from my my Stream East feed did not look very impressive. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. It uh, doesn't help that it's it was fall break, too, so... Yeah, that's true. The student section has been pretty good this year. Uh, not, not in this last game, but fall break. And I mean, it's, it, going into the game, like on Friday of last week, this was a one in four team that had been blown out for, you know, basically four games in a row. So like, I'm not going to blame the fans that much. Um, well, they did lose to a Mac juggernaut. Exactly. That was the, yeah. And the home game before that, they got like their doors blown up off by Utah. So um, they they had to prove it, and they did prove it. Like they, they, they like even like like this was not a fluke win, you know. It, they, I think both teams had the same amount of turnovers. Um, and ASU, you know, like UW scored thirty eight points, and like look, they still had a lot of success against ASU. But one thing that ASU did not do. Is they did they never really got beat deep the entire game and UW has some really good receivers. I mean Roma Dunze had nine catches for 115, but Jalen McMillan four catches for 25 yards. That's that's really not that bad. Yeah, uh, Jalen average catches, yeah. Um, the, the average to at 6.3. Um, yeah. That's really really good. Um, I mean Roma Dunze's average was. 12.8 yards per catch. Um, yeah, that's he's first down every time he catches the ball. Uh, yeah. So that's less than ideal. And then, I mean, Washington's leading rusher. Oh <laughs> Washington's leading rusher, Cameron Davis, nine carries for 77 yards. The dude was averaging 8.6 yards per touch. Yeah. Um, so maybe, maybe they're selling out to keep the passing game in front of them to the point that Washington was able – not quite – um, they're not quite the rushing juggernaut that Eastern Michigan is, but um, they were able to get a lot of what they wanted. Um, Richard Newton, yeah. another guy who averaged 10 yards a carry. So a lot of chunk plays, or I guess average chunk plays. I mean, right, Evan right. had a 26-yard catch. Uh, Romeo Dunze had a 25-yard catch, 17-yard catch for Taj Davis. A lot of chunk plays here. Um, but again, I mean, it was a shootout. And Right. The defense, <laughs> I, they scored a touchdown in this game, which was that was the difference. So exactly. in terms of the scoreboard, that was the difference in the game, you know. Exactly, and I think I think the story of this game is just Trenton Bourget. I, I talked about it earlier, but how impressive it was that he was able to come in and he not, was making good throws. Yeah, and and not crack. Under this pressure, not, no, not the at game all. Tied in the fourth quarter, thirty-eight, thirty-eight. Um, he's able to keep his head on straight and and walk down. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but that's just what you get on this show. Um, it, it's sort of involuntary excellence, but he's able to lead the team down the field. I, I don't know who scored that. Oh, pass complete to Elijah Badger for two yard touchdown. He's able to throw that touchdown at the end of the game. Uh, 4.35 left, and obviously they forced the turnover on downs. Uh, ASU punts again, but then they get the uh, – I don't even know what happened on that play. It was a, a bad snap by Washington that drove Oh, okay. And, and like, I saw loss of 36 yeah. on my phone. And I was it was like, like uh, people kept trying to pick it up, and no one could actually grab the ball, so it just kept oh, okay. backward. Uh, so it was like the, the classic Frank Reynolds um, grease watermelon. In the yeah. public pool. It was it, it it did rain actually a little bit in this game, like it sprinkled for a good like five I saw minutes. that it looked cloudy. Yeah, no. Oh I was in the stadium and uh We're gonna get a Peter Gremlins are at it again. Um, I was at the stadium and you could see just a huge, just giant wall of gray clouds rolling in from uh 
from the east side um, and a little bit dipped over the stadium, but luckily it was nothing too bad. And it, like I would have been pissed if there was like a lightning delay or something. Mark, um, your use of imagery there was impeccable. I feel like I was in the stadium. There you go. Hey, <laughs> that's yeah. why you go to that's why you go to the Cronkite School of Journalism. Okay, you can uh, make good descriptions of the weather. Mark Harris, one of is right up there with uh, uh, Matthew Barry and uh, or Matt Barry. I don't My know favorite what ASU personality. And who else is even prominent from there? But regardless, you're up there with those people. You're on the Cronkite Mount Rushmore. Your right, your face is right up there. Definitely. Um, <laughs> my bearded face. Uh, I wanted to shout out. Um, I mentioned that ASU never really got beat deep, and one, a few of the reasons was um, Roe Torrance really played well. He had some good pass breakups, and Isaiah Johnson also played really well on the other side. Like. You have to cover those guys. Like you can drop the defense all you want, but you have to have people who can actually execute. And I mean, Roe Torrance was just like on these guys uh, like glue. The people that he was covering and um, had a really nice pass breakup. I think uh, they were throwing like a post route, and he uh, was able to knock it away. And um, like, I mean, I would have because I don't think. Um, Maybe Bro Torrance did play against USC, but I know that he was injured. So he was, uh, he definitely missed um, Eastern Michigan. I know yeah. he missed Eastern Michigan because he got hurt in the Oklahoma State game. I don't remember if he came back for USC though. Um, I'm no, it says he was at Jordan U- Clark. No, he he played USC. He says he had six solo tackles. So okay, definitely played. Him. Yeah, all right. But he's a good player, man. Like he. They were really lucky to get him. I mean, he's like. Blake Masters wants to ban all Auburn. <laughs> I, I, I keep wanting to look at this box score and, and break this down, but every time I do, we get political <laughs> interference. Is um, it on ESPN or is it like. You yeah, it's it ESPN. Site? I have it on mute. Or you could like pulled up on your phone. Although, yeah, I mean, I'll I don't. Do we don't really That's need the idea. box score. But, yeah. Um, anyway. Um, yeah, speaking of, uh, James Madison is ranked. Sorry, that just came on my, my yeah. phone that I went on here. Yeah. That was, that was pretty crazy. But anyway, um, that just popped up while I'm trying to pull this up. This is the first time I think, actually, Oklahoma State and USC, um, but one of the few times where you're, you don't have to go to the FBS or the Pac-12 tab to find an ASU score. It's always nice. When they play a ranked opponent, because then you can just click right, NCAA right. football and you're right there. Um, but yeah, Penix didn't throw for a touchdown in this game. No. That's now, UW weird. did have five rushing touchdowns. I think I said he threw for three touchdowns earlier, and that was my oh. bad. Yeah. He, no. he attempted 53 passes in this yeah. game. That's, I mean, UW was trailing most of the game. Like, yeah, that's bonkers. I, I think I was looking at Trenton Borgay when I said uh, Penix's mm-hmm. stat line, but yeah, only five. Emory Jones, yeah. Um, Emory Jones before he got injured, I mean, seven of nine for fifty-nine yards. They were marching down the field, so yeah, he was playing well too. Um, yeah, and it's not like Borgay just based on you know his numbers, and obviously I didn't get to watch a whole lot of it. Shout out to the Pac-12 Network, um, <laughs> but. I mean, just looking at these numbers, 8.7 yards on average per completion. He only threw for 182 yards on 15 of 21, which is obviously a great completion percentage. All through, it's not like he had any deep bombs or anything, but he was just making. Um, he had one right. that was like a. It was like a third. He had like two fairly deep bomb bombs to uh, Brian Thompson, who had three catches, 78 yards. Pretty good game for him. Oh yeah, 26 yards of catch. Okay, 38 yard, uh, yeah. catch. I guess that would be, uh, a deep play. But it, it seems like Borgay's approach was a little more methodical. Just go through your reads, hit the guy that's open. It wasn't like he was trying to do too much. He was playing within the game plan, um, which is always good. You, I mean, you run into those quarterbacks who try to do too much and, and you're in trouble. But, um, I don't know. Penix is, I mean, when you throw the ball 33, 
or you, you throw the ball 53 times and you're only averaging 5.9 yards per completion. I mean, it, it's, it's crazy that he was still, I, I don't know. That just seems like that passing attack was aided by a chunk play here and there. It, it doesn't, I, I don't know. It's, it's just interesting looking at those numbers. Yeah. I mean, the thing that stood out to me about Borgay is he just, he really had some accurate throws in there. Like, uh, both the, both the deep plays to Brian Thompson were really well thrown. And his first touchdown to Elijah Badger in the back of the end zone, that was really nice. Like, he like layered the ball over two defenders. And I think he was getting hit at the time too, and just dropped it in the bucket to Badger. That was just like, dang, like he may be a backup technically, but like, I, like, I mean, look, aguano has been talking about it. He's, he talked mm-hmm. about it today. He talked about it after the game. Like there's a QB competition now. Like yeah. that's how well Borgay played. And Emory Jones might get, uh, what's the expert? It's a uh, Wally Pitt. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And cause I don't think or, uh, Alex Smith. Right. Right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. In San, in San Francisco with Kaepernick. Yeah. Um, wow. that's but I, I, is, yeah. Sorry. What were you going to say? Oh, uh, nothing, but, um, it's, <laughs> okay, Mark. it's interesting. Um, <laughs> no, definitely. And I, I really like that. I think so often coaches get caught up. I, I think you see it more at the NFL level, which obviously maybe this isn't that applicable, but, uh, it's kind of coach speak in general. Uh, where coaches will, you know, commit to a guy and won't acknowledge an open controversy or, uh, won't acknowledge right. that, or like an open, con- not controversy. I think that's the wrong word, but an open competition. competition. Um, and, and, and won't, if, if, I think a lot of the time coaches won't give fans credit for seeing something. It's almost like coaches think that there's this, um, this this lens that comes with 20 years of working in football where you're, you're able to see a level of play that, you know, an average fan isn't able to see. But, I mean, when you're watching these games, I think any football fan can identify solid quarterback play. You're like, wow, that was a good throw, something like that, right? Um, so in this instance, Sean Aguano just openly saying, yeah, he looked good. He put some pressure on Emory Jones. This is definitely a competition. Um, I think that old, you know, you're going to hear that old football cliche that you get on every, uh, every, you know, Instagram bio or whatever it is, the iron sharpens iron or whatever. Um, <laughs> there's definitely some strength and conditioning coaches in, uh, division two that have that on their shirt. Um, the guys that have to hold the coaches back on the sideline have iron sharpens right. iron, something like that. Um, but I mean, that's what you want to see, right? You want to see, especially with the program in the state that it's in. This isn't some five-star guy coming in. Um, yep. It, these are two. I mean, Borgay was a, a fifth-string walk-on, right? Like, right. Yeah. Emory Jones is a, a transfer from Florida. You know, like these aren't guys with with huge pedigrees. Obviously, I mean, playing in the SEC is, is great and everything, but. What I'm trying to say is with the program in the state that it's in, this is exactly the type of mentality you need. I feel like it would be easy for Aguano to just stick with things as they were, right? He inherited this mess. This is Emory Jones' job. Uh, when he comes back, he's the starter. There is no competition. He could have gone down that road, but he's not playing it safe. And I think that's going to bring out the best. Obviously, Borgay was ready to go. Uh, yeah. And I think that's yeah. going to bring out the, the best in Emory Jones. I I don't think he was ever really – he doesn't seem like the type of guy that would be complacent or take any of this for granted or anything like that. But I think maybe this this gives him a bit of a jolt, and it shows Trenton Borgay that uh, this isn't set in stone. You can play more if you continue to perform like this. Um, so I guess that's a really long-winded way of saying I'm glad Iguano isn't giving us the typical coach speak that we're used to hearing. And he's not just inheriting a mess, blaming it all on the former regime and getting through the season, you know. And I think that's that's typical. And that leads into what we were going to talk about later with, with Iguano. But I've been really impressed um, with what I've seen so far. And apparently the players are, too. Yeah, the players. Uh, 
Nesta Jade Silvera after the game was like, this guy's like the best coach I've played for, uh, or it, something like he was very complimentary of Iguano. And you saw it on the sideline, man. Like there's, it's night and day difference between him, him and her, her, <coughs> excuse me, Herm Edwards yeah. is like, like stone cold, like dispassionate back there and just like jotting things down on his little notepad after they get a, their like fifth false start penalty of the game. Um, yeah, you think he was just tally marking false starts on that notepad. That, that I mean, maybe. Just there was a lot to mark down. There was a yeah. lot to mark down. Uh, and, and, but anyway, Iguana was animated. Uh, it seems like there's less puzzling clock decisions. You know, it was pretty common with Herm Edwards, even when the team was like doing relatively good a few years ago. Um, those were present, and I haven't seen too many of those yet with Iguano. Who knows? I mean, it's not like he, this guy hasn't he, – he's experienced coaching for a long time in terms of managing a clock and all that in high school. So, And he never had a 20-year gap. Absence, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> imagine that. I mean, imagine hiring someone who hadn't been in coaching for like a decade for a job. That would be crazy. Uh, yeah, your program in it, that be spot. borderline malpractice. In borderline, I actually I can't talk. I liked the hire when it happened. I did. I'm not. one of those people that's like, whoa, this is something that doesn't seem familiar. So it must be innovative, even when it's there's a reason it's not familiar. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it wasn't as big of a disaster as people thought it would be, but it also we we've litigated the Herm era but um, yeah let's not let's not go back we can only go forward Mark. exactly exactly um so yeah but what makes this even more interesting in terms of the quarterback battle is you've got a bye week now so you have a lot of time to really reevaluate the situation if you want to uh see how healthy emory jones is um who looks better at practice and, I mean, if you're Borgay, you have to have momentum. I mean, that's just – he played an incredible game. I know he had a pick, but he was converting on third downs, like not making – not in like making some tough throws, uh, very accurate. Um, it was impressive to watch. Like, I, look, I heard about Borgay. Um, a lot of the, you know, like prep people in Arizona talked about him and, you know, maybe – what? Where is he from again? In Arizona? He's from uh, Marana. Well, it, it, it's either Marana or Marana. It's uh, just outside of Tucson. Oh, I'm I don't know exactly how it's pronounced. Um, <laughs> showing my out of stateness, but yeah, uh, I really don't even know what that is, so it's all good. Yeah, there you go. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it's just north of Tucson. Um, so obviously that's you know, maybe less likely that he go to ASU, but came as a walk on and has been, he's been here for a while and been a backup and not always the second string backup either. Like he's, he's been sitting behind people, but um, I mean, he, again, like I just can't stop talking about how well he did. Like he just was fantastic. Uh, and I like the offense. It was the, it, like, it just moved really well. <laughs> like there's no, it, they almost never had any like just like terrible drives. Um, they they did have some punts, but um, just a really well played game. And look, with you have Stanford and Colorado coming up with like with the way this team played. Again, yeah. like even it, with the way they played against Washington, and, and you throw in the fact that they hung with USC for a half, you know. And I I think yeah I agree with you I. Sorry, I'll let you finish your point. I was just thinking about Stanford. Um, My point is that if they keep playing at this level, then they should be able to beat Stanford and Colorado and get to 4-4. Four and four. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I do think that this offense is going to have to put up points, not 45 or I guess 38, the defense for a touchdown. Maybe not 38 points. Um yeah, 
maybe in the neighborhood of 28, 31, something like that against Stanford. I, yeah. I think Stanford's had some terrible luck and their schedule early on has been just an absolute so, bear. Okay. I mean, they get, okay, they get so they, gate out of the gate. We know how good they are. Right. Uh, yeah, not them. I'm just kidding. But what were you going to say? So, it, well, in their last game, they, they lost, uh, they lost at the very end to Oregon State. I was watching that game for, play. yeah, that, I mean. If you haven't seen that, look it up. It's crazy. Yeah, that, uh, that play was nuts. I watched that entire game, and I'm not going to disclose why. Um, but, I mean, I'm looking at their schedule yeah, here. Yeah. USC, Washington, Oregon, and then they play Oregon State, right? So, 0 and 4 in the conference so far, but, I mean, they play three of yeah. the top five teams in the conference right out of the gate, right? Um, and they score points. I mean, we're not looking at great defenses. We've talked about that ad nauseum. Yeah, their defense isn't but, good. But, but um, yeah. I don't think their offense is solid. I think Stanford, Tanner McKee is pretty, uh, is, is a pretty good quarterback. And then that, uh, the kid who broke his leg last year and came back had, a game against oh, yeah. State. Bryson Tremaine. Yeah. Um, he looks solid. And I think Stanford's going to put up some points against ASU's defense. Um, so, I mean, they obviously get the bye week. They get some time to figure out what they want to do at quarterback. Um, but whatever they do, they're going to need to score points because I think Stanford is going to going to score some points on yeah. the defense. For yeah, sure. for sure. Um, and and where, Stanford where is at? definitely like – That'll be a really interesting game in terms of like a barometer for the rest of the season. Because if, if ASU loses to Stanford, then it's like, okay, like, congrats on beating Washington, but you're probably, uh, gonna go four and eight because you'll beat Colorado and then you'll just beat one of U of A, uh, Oregon State, Washington State, UCLA. But if ASU wins, let's just say they win by like a touchdown and just like, it's just a convincing win, even if it's not like a blowout. They win a game like that, you win whatever seven to ten points, um, and they look good. Then it's like okay, like this team, this team can get rolling. And if, if they get to three and four, you, you know, you know, you have Colorado next. Uh, that I, you know, I guess it's like sure, you like every game is theoretical. You can lose that game, but it's just Colorado. Not if you play Colorado. That's a bye week. Yeah, they're very bad. The only hope is if they get some interim head coach bump like we have, but Colorado's interim head coach was their offensive coordinator who's like terrible and he like I uh he was at Minnesota and when Minnesota fired him their offense got way better. So it's like I don't know. I I think Iguano is a, a really good interim head coach. Like the guy in uh Wisconsin, Jim Leonard, like he's an interim head coach, but that's kind of the guy they want to just be the head coach, you know? So like not every interim head coach is the same. Um, right. So, anyway, um, but. Yeah. I mean, that game's, yeah, that game is in Palo Alto, too. Um, yeah. And, I mean, I'm just thinking back. I can't remember if this was the last time they played in Palo Alto. The, the Bryce Love game. Oh, yeah. Was that the last time they played in Palo Alto? I think so. No, that was our senior year. So, that was 2017. Yeah. Um, Regardless, not a lot of. Great memories. It's a it's a weird place to play. Yeah, it's it's not like it's the. I I mean, people show up. It I guess it depends on when the game is going to uh, be. Too. I, really I when I was watching that Oregon State game, they like the stands aren't full. You're not getting like just everyday people coming in to watch these games. There's not like a huge right. Stanford football culture. But you will get like a student section. You will get some. Right. No, what I'm be saying is it's not necessarily like a home field advantage, but there is something weird about playing. Well, it's I, weird. I, I agree with you. It's weird to go to an environment and there's like no crowd noise. You know, like that's that's. I feel like if you're a college football player, you kind of expect like to go on the road for it to be like Oklahoma State. I mean, USC isn't like the world's biggest home field advantage, but still, like there are people there making noise. Um, yeah, it's a coliseum. Like that's intimidating by itself. Yeah, but then you go to Stanford, and it's like, you know, it'll probably be. I think it's like a mid-afternoon game, so there will be some people there, but it's not going to be anything. Um, it's probably a a, a graduate student's uh, thesis 
or a master's student's thesis on the psychological impact that 20% of a stadium's capacity can have on an opposing football team. I, I bet someone's written that before. And it's, it's a, it's a, and if they haven't done it at Stanford, they did it at one of the Ivy League schools or like at Northwestern or Duke. Yeah. I think Stanford just uses, like, we'll, we'll randomly throw little tests in there that students are running as like, you know, a, a, a research or like a dissertation or something like that. So that might be what's going on. There's, there's always something deeper. Stanford's playing chess while all of us are playing checkers. So. Well, um, they were. <laughs> they suck now. So. No, not in terms of team success, but I'm saying, right. like, okay. there's, there's something else going on there, you know. I think Stanford is the only – is I think if they're with Colorado being the only teams that haven't – only Power 5 teams that also haven't beaten a Power 5 team, but I'm not sure about that. Oh, currently? Yeah, I think maybe Northwestern's in that mix too, but – yeah, I, it's it's unfair. I mean, they should have beaten Oregon State. That last play was the play of a lifetime. Like uh, that, yeah. that should have been a win. But I mean, but they also caught was, Oregon State with the backup, though. So right, the third stringer. I'm pretty sure the backup. Oh, he was third string. I'm pretty sure the kid oh, wow. that played was a third stringer, and he looked good. Well, there you go. Because uh, um, who is their starter? I can't think of his name. Nolan got hurt in the Utah game, and then oh. I'm pretty sure the backup to Nolan got hurt at some point, maybe early in the Stanford game, and then the third string kid came. Yeah. So I one think. thing about Stanford is um, the the bye week that we're off, they go to Notre Dame. So the thing with that is they could get beat up in that game against the team with yeah. a better roster especially on the lines of scrimmage. And so ASU would have the advantage at that point because guess what? You just had a bye week after a like offensive game against Washington. Um, right. So ASU could definitely be more fresh in that game. And, you know, injuries or not, Stanford's probably coming into this game on a five-game losing streak. So – it's yeah, just, that's a good point. And for whatever reason, they're rivals. I've never really figured that out. I think it's just some old school thing. Yeah, I don't know. But um, speaking of, I'm, I have to pick that game on my football pool. Am I going? I, yeah, I'm going Notre Dame. But, but yeah, yeah I don't know why they're rivals. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm in Matt's Matt's family's football pool, and it's. I didn't even know you had to power rank your picks until like week four. Oh gosh, yeah, that's the worst. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, Aguano. Here's what I will say with the Stanford game coming up. I feel like if they lose that game, then Aguano has no chance of becoming coach. Because think about it: if you yeah. lose that game, then in, in in order to go to a bowl game, you would have. And for me, I don't think Aguano has a chance of becoming coach unless they go to a bowl game. And that's the low, that's like the low bar. Like, I think for me, for him to like prove it that he could actually like, we should make this higher and go, uh, his way. And I think Aguano's been awesome, by the way. Like, but, um, I think you have to go to a bowl game and he has to get like a few good recruits to come in, you know? Yeah. You have he's to unfortunately some kind of class, even. Even with the interim tag on, uh, maybe maybe he again like like we talked about having all the recruits at practice. Like maybe he'll stay on staff anyway, you know, and that would be fantastic if that happens. But yeah, uh, I mean, we we talked about it a little bit even like before he took over and everything was. I mean, running the running game and the running backs have been this team's strength for the past three or four years, and I don't think that's a coincidence that that correlates with right. Sean Aguano joining the staff. Um, definitely should have a role on this team if he's not the head coach. But I agree with you. He's he's kind of fighting an uphill battle, and that's unfortunately the, the landscape of, you know, an interim coach, unless you're somebody that has been sort of anointed a coach in waiting or something right. like that. But that's obviously right. not the case here. Um, so in order to get them to <laughs> forego a coaching search with names that will now include, I mean, Deion Sanders, Matt Rule, yep. um, some pretty big names in this this cycle, 
he he's going to have to overperform and do it not only on the field, but like you said, demonstrate that he has some pedigree when it comes to convincing recruits to join the program. I, I mean, he should definitely stay on this staff. I just don't know if he's going to have enough time or be given a genuine shot, regardless of, you know, the letter, or, which we're going to talk about. Or if he, like, if they want to keep him, but he just takes a job somewhere else because someone is uh, impressed with what they saw here, you know. That's, That's a good point. That could happen, too. Maybe it's not, you yeah. know, a, a Pac-12 school. Maybe he goes somewhere smaller and climbs the ranks or whatever it may be. But I, this is an audition for oh, 100%. everywhere. Like, if it's not ASU, it could very well be somewhere else. And I think ASU has to be cognizant of that, too, and understand that, okay, I mean, if he performs well um, – exceeds expectations and proves that he could be a head a head uh, head coach in college football of a college football team and lead a program, we're not going to be able to necessarily retain him. That might not be an option. He might get to go somewhere else. Right. Um so there's there's a lot of options to weigh. I think it's going to be extremely interesting with some of the names that are being floated and obviously Matt Rule being fired. Uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before. Um, just adds another huge fish to that pond. So, um, Sean Aguano, great guy, has the support of Arizona high school football coaches and his players. Yeah. But it, that, I mean, it, it's going to be, it's going to be an uphill battle regardless, I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but that's why, like, I think the bowl game is something that, that's like the lowest threshold for me. Cause they can go four and two in these next, Six games, if possible. Um, yeah, definitely. I think it obviously we're gonna every time we do this show, we're gonna talk about like it, it's it's <laughs> it's weird to talk about this with a two and four team, um, but with the the standard of like postseason play set so low in college football, I mean it's gonna be the yeah. this is this is the season. This game is the season, but more so, it's not just like this game is this season, like. Each this game is the season is more of like this game is gonna could possibly decide the future of this team. Yes. Because if they go out yeah. and win this game uh against, you know, let's let's just say hypothetically they beat Stanford. Okay, Aguano's case becomes stronger, his resume becomes a little stronger. What ha- happens if they go out and beat UCLA? You know? Dude, and UCLA will be no matter what happens with them, they'll probably still be in the top twenty five. Well, I mean, we they have a bye this week too. Yeah, so they, well, and there's they a chance to survive see. one week. I don't know who they play off the top of my head, but yeah, and there's a chance UCLA comes into that game maybe with just one loss, or they're still undefeated. And even like if they play like a really good game against like oh, they have Oregon, yeah, so that'll be tough for UCLA. That that yeah. that'll be a good game. Um, yeah, but if if. If they've won two in a row, I bet Sun Devil Stadium will be a lot more uh, full, especially if you have, like, a one-loss or unbeaten UCLA team coming in. Like, I think that would be the best atmosphere at Sun Devil Stadium in, oh, well, I guess since last year. They had some good atmospheres last year. Not, like, uh, amazing, but um, some were pretty good. I think, like, the USC game, that was a pretty well-attended game. U of A was full, yeah. but I mean U of A is always it, it's always going to be full for that game. But uh, yeah, I feel like this is a, a really interesting season, and not for like any sort of I mean otherworldly success on the field. It's not interesting for the same reason that like Utah's season last year was interesting, right? right. Because they, they had this crazy success and did well, what they did. It's it's interesting in the same way Washington State season was interesting last year. Because they fired their coach, albeit for mm-hmm. different reasons. For the vaccine, yeah. yeah. Or the vaccine, was it the vaccine? The, va- the vaccine yeah. requirement. Yeah. Nick Rolovich. I remember that. Um, um, Jayden but then they started to play a lot better as the season kept going along. They finished 7-5. and five, And they're like, well, maybe let's just keep the interim head coach. And looks like it was the right decision for them. Like Jake Dicker, they're 4-2. Um, beat Wisconsin on the road. Almost beat Oregon. Should have beat Oregon. Yeah. That game was a collapse. And but, they probably had the second best defensive performance against USC all season. Held them the thir- like holding that USC team to thirty points 
through a college football game where you get more possessions, like that's impressive. Um, yeah, and that game was semi-competitive until late. Yeah, I was able to watch that game, but uh, I, I remember it being like I think I think Washington State even had a lead at one point, but I want to say it was yeah. never out of hand. And I mean thirty, I think it was thirty to seventeen, right, or maybe thirty to 14, uh, thirty to fourteen, I believe, something like that. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously, that doesn't look super competitive. Two score game. Two score game. Yeah. Point point being, Wazoo obviously made the right choice there, and uh, I mean it's not unheard of. There's a precedent for it, but it's it's interesting in the sense that you know each game could very very well alter the path that this program, or maybe they already have their path. Yeah, that's true. Maybe they already know what they're gonna do. Maybe Sean Aguano doesn't have a shot. They're not gonna give it to him regardless of what he does. Um, or maybe they don't, and Sean Aguano goes out, does something really special. Maybe they only go six and six, or somehow go seven and five, whatever it could be. And yeah. he really forces their hand. There's a lot of different angles here that don't necessarily pertain to contending for a Pac-12 championship, but I think are pretty interesting. And I didn't expect that to be the case coming in. I was pretty down on this season. Um, but I mean, when you have a, a guy as as likable and yeah. as competent as Sean Aguano is, it makes the conversation very interesting. Yep, totally. Um, and it's it, like I, I think we talked about this last week too. Is you had a weird schedule where it was just so front loaded, where you're playing mm-hmm. four of the top five teams you play in the first six games, right? And uh, pretty much everyone other than UCLA. Um, Right, I wish we would have got Eastern Michigan when we hit our stride. Yeah. Hey, you know what? The Eastern Michigan game turned out to be a very good thing because if if we don't lose that game, I still think we have Herm Edwards right now. Yeah, but maybe it's delayed by like a week. Yeah, I mean, I guess they honestly like we'd probably be one and five, and we're entering the bye week. They'd probably this would probably be when it would have happened. Um, yeah. Anyway, but. It didn't, and we lost to Eastern Michigan and got our asses kicked. But, uh, you know, yeah, I feel like uh, what you mentioned about them already having someone in mind no matter what, I feel like if that's going to be anyone, that would be Kenny Dillingham at Oregon, who their offense just looks good. Like, yeah. I know it was against U of A, and they're, I think U of A has the worst defense in the Pac-12. Well, either them or Colorado, one of those two. But, like, we're like, oh, Washington defense is bad, ASU's defense is bad, like, they are, but like there's a dip, like U of A is even below that. Like it's really bad. Uh, and Mark, are they bad? They're they're pretty bad. Yeah, <laughs> some might say uh, terrible. Um, terrible. But yeah, it's it's crazy to see where Oregon is now after that opening game. I yeah. I did not think. Uh, I mean, it's Georgia. Like I, I, I know, and Georgia's an absolute like wagon, right? But I mean. Uh, Mizzou gave me a square a couple weeks ago. I, it's college football. There's going to be more uh, volatility than. Well, and I just feel like in a game play. like that, like a team like Georgia, they're going to be at their 100% peak game. Right. And Whereas, it's, in, it's in the. Uh, the in Falcon. Missouri. Like. No, yeah, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I, I thought you we were see that, like, one. You, we've kind of seen this with Ohio State over the years where, like, they play their best game of the season against Michigan, and they kick the crap out of, like, a Michigan team that's, like, ranked sixth in the country. But then they also lose to, like, Iowa that year. That year they lost to Purdue. And it's, like – The Rondell Moore game. Yeah, yeah. And it's, like, you can't just – these teams, even, like, the best teams, like, they're not going to be at their 100%, like, peak performance level every single game, you know? And, I mean yeah. – uh, so, but it's still a bad, like, you, like they still lost 49 to three and, you know, that was a bad performance. And I guess, I mean, they almost lost to, uh, that, that being Oregon, they almost lost to Wazoo, but they were able to pull that out. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't mind Dillingham because like, obviously the Guano, you mentioned that he got the, uh, letter of support, um, from the Arizona high school coaches association. And I mean that is so like like that ha- that's a huge feather in his cap, you know. Definitely. Even though that, it's not on the field, and especially if you got to look at if um, 
let's say, you know, Ray Anderson, if he's involved in the next coaching search, which I don't know why he wouldn't be if he's still around. Yeah, but from what I've, like, listened to in terms of, like, podcasts and stuff, like, it, he's involved, but he is not – it doesn't seem like he's, like, the final decision maker on it. Yeah, right. But which he shouldn't be. Point being, point being what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is if Ray Anderson and Michael Crow and whoever else is involved in this decision has a list, uh, a sort of a wish list for their next head coach, and one of the items on that list is reemphasizing in-state recruiting. I don't think you're going to find a guy better suited to check that box than Sean Iguano. And this letter is further proof of that, yeah. right? All of these coaches supporting this guy. I mean, those conversations and that, that, uh, that communication is going to be seamless. And that pipeline, who knows what could happen with in-state recruiting after that. So I think if there's anything that – if Sean Iguano has any A++ on his resume that he is going to sort of have a significant advantage over other candidates in, it's I think it's got to be the in-state recruiting. Yeah. It's got to be that element, um, well, which is huge. So – so I kind of agree with you because what I wanted to bring up is um, Sean Guado obviously is good. Like if he was given the full time head coaching job, he would do pretty well recruiting Arizona. I think we can both agree on that. Um, but I think with Dillingham, um, who I was talking about earlier, like he is connected to Arizona. Like he's from Scottsdale. I think he went to Sh- uh, Chaparral or Chaparral or however, however it's pronounced. Uh, but went to that high school. Have? was a GA at ASU and like he's he's ugh, he's connected to some of the boosters he's recruited Arizona before like he has recruiting connections so like if they don't choose Iguano and go with Dillingham Dillingham would cover a lot of that uh like he he would be a good replacement in that that space yeah uh, that's a good point i could see that too and i was I, listening to uh Brad Sesmat's podcast I saw this on on Twitter, and he uh, he he mentioned in his pod that Dillingham uh, would would come to ASU if they offered it to him. So like, Ooh. that's interesting. Uh, he, he also mentioned it, um, and again, this is from his podcast, so he, he's the one reporting it. But uh, also mentioned that like once like some of the uh, uh, high school quarterbacks who had been. Um, like Arizona high school quarterbacks who are elsewhere in the country, like some of them are much more open to transferring here with the guano here. And I mean, that makes sense. Like they, I'm sure they all know him and like, he just seems like such a nice guy too. Like yeah. it's very rare that you have like a, like a college football coach who is like, seems like a genuinely nice guy, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that all comes from the high school roots, you know, like he was a former yeah. high school football coach, uh, a high, teacher, school teacher. high school teacher. Yeah. Yeah, like I think that all that patience and that um that genuine like passion for what he's doing, I think all comes from that. And that's something that's a trait that is you're not gonna find that in a lot of other coaches, I don't think. Yeah. Um that's what I think is so unique about this guy, is his background is so much different from other coaching candidates that you're gonna run into, you know, like Right. The the path that he's taken to get to this point where his name is even in the running is is pretty um pretty uncommon. Right. right. And I think that's where you get a lot of this humility and a lot of this um he seems very down to earth. He seems like he has high expectations, but he's not he's not Urban Meyer about him. <laughs> um and I don't know. I think he's a very interesting he's pretty much guy. not Urban Meyer. <laughs> Yeah, um, unless there's some things we find out about. <laughs> I don't. I don't think there will be any Urban Meyer <laughs> revelations coming out. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I really like the guy. I hope he gets a fair shot. I hope there isn't a decision already made. Yeah, um, yeah. Because he I could easily that. end up somewhere else. I think I wouldn't be shocked if he gets an opportunity somewhere else. Yeah. If not as a head coach. Maybe it's like no C or something under a different staff, but 
I don't know. Hopefully they can retain him. And if he earns it, if he continues to perform like this, I don't, I don't see what the issue is. And I mean, furthermore, there's even an argument that could be made for sticking with Iguano, giving him sort of like that, you know, let's see how it goes. And then once you get some clarity, obviously don't use him as like a stopgap or anything. Right. Like that. Clarity on the NCAA. Yeah. Right. Get some clarity on that. If he doesn't perform, then you can go in a different direction when you don't have that cloud over your program. Right. But it, it's it's a win-win for ASU, right? I mean, if if he doesn't perform, it's like, okay, we're kind of in this dark period, but at least we're going to have a clean slate to build fresh. Um, but if he does, then you have your head coach, right? Right. So that's a, I, I think that's another angle to this, but I, what do I know? I just speak into the void once a week with my bearded friend. Uh, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see. It's just going to be compelling to see the rest of the season because, I mean, the competition isn't that great, you know. We can debate how good or bad Stanford is, but they're they're not that good of a team. I mean, they're one on four. No. Um, Colorado's I mean, awful. Yeah. UCLA could be the best team in the Pac-12, and that'll be a tough game. But like I said earlier, that'll be at home and um, probably the best – I'd expect that to be a pretty good crowd just because ASU has a good chance. If, if ASU is four and four entering that game, if they're, if they lose to Stanford, then I don't, then I don't know, but, uh, has a chance to be a really, um, good environment there. They'll still probably lose at Wazoo is really tough. That's going to be a tough game. Um, but then you get at home against Oregon state. That's winnable. I don't know if I would like pick them to win necessarily, uh, but maybe we get to that game and it's very winnable for ASU. And then on the road at U of A is winnable. Doesn't mean they're going to win, but the U of A's defense is, you know, not very good. And so ASU could just win because of that. So uh, a lot of possibilities the rest of the season. And it'll be interesting to see how different guys develop. I mean, Xavier Valdez is having a fantastic season. He's been having a fantastic season the whole season, even when <laughs> a lot of his teammates were not having fantastic seasons at that time. So. He can put up some really good numbers this year. Ngata uh, continues to get involved in the offense, had a touchdown. Um, you, Receivers you, are stepping up, too. That's been good. You like what I you mean, see you from didn't... them. You like what you see from Ngata. Badger just continues to improve. Um, two big tight ends they still have. So, And the offensive line looks like it's uh, starting to gel a little bit. Um, Utah game was really bad, but uh, – I think they were bringing some blitzes too in that game too. So like, uh, they we should see how the offensive line kind of plays the rest of the year, and you know, defense they won't be playing as good of teams, so (laughs) that should help. You know, I mean, they played maybe three NFL quarterbacks in a row, right? With rising, I mean, maybe rising. Rising will probably get to the NFL. He he probably won't be a starter, but he'll I could see him getting. Yeah, I feel like he's like a UDFA type of guy. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, he'll get a shot. I, D- he's better than DRC. Wait, no. Why did I say DRC? It's DRC, right? No. DTR. DTR. There we go. DRC. Yeah, so that you like Um. Yeah. So DTR and then uh, Tanner McKee definitely. I think. Yeah. He, he looks great. Um. But I, I call. But Stanford's so bad that like, Tanner yeah. alone, I don't know if he'll be able to. I referred to the Utah UCLA game as the not good enough for the Senior Bowl bowl. Um, so that and that was my finest work. So much so that I felt the need to repeat it. Um, I was very proud of that. But uh, that kind of shows how I feel about those guys making a splash in the NFL. Um, or maybe it's my disdain for Chip Kelly, and that's Dude, DTR is gonna DTR might win the Heisman, man. He's but DTR is also like 25 years old playing against like 19 year old corners. (laughs) I don't know. I don't think he's 25. That doesn't matter when winning the Heisman. They they don't have an. No, I know that's not a criteria. 22. No, he's not 22. Yes, he is. Is Really? Yes. That guy. I feel like that dude is like. Those Kansas forwards for Kansas basketball that used to play for that team for like seven. Perry seasons. Ellis. Yeah, like a Perry <laughs> Ellis. <laughs> no, I mean he is kind of like that. 
That's what I'm saying. Like he, he's, you feel like he's been playing he's college football for ten years. Yeah. Um. But still, twenty-two. That's like thirty-two in college years. No, it's not. <laughs> I don't know. It feels. Dude, he's good, man. He's good. I know you're not a chip His killer. Birthday guy. must be mid-October. Well, yeah, we'll see. Um. Anyway. Uh, one more thing to get to. Uh, we mentioned Matt Rule earlier. Uh, he has been canned by the Carolina Panthers, and a lot of college teams want him. You know, there's a lot of rumors about him in Nebraska, which makes sense. Um, and I haven't seen that many rumors of him to ASU. Uh, but I'm just kind of asking, like, how would you react if ASU ended up hiring him? Let's just say he wants to come here. I mean, he's an accomplished college football coach. If He's obviously got the name value. Former uh, NFL guy. Obviously, we were just talking about Chip Kelly. He's finally having success at UCLA. Um, obviously, I despise Chip Kelly, but um, you, those guys have a pretty solid pedigree of, of, you know, the guys who make the leap to the NFL, coming back to the call drinks and having success. You see it with Jim Harbaugh of Michigan. Steve Spurrier. Um, Steve Spurrier, obviously one of the biggest examples is Nick Saban. Um, Steve Spurrier was an awful NFL coach, like right. And I mean, Matt Rule was an awful NFL coach, right? Yeah, but he was an excellent college football coach. Yep. And I don't think there would be any there. Would, I don't think there would be any objection from ASU fans, at least for me, if Matt Rule was hired to be right. the ASU football coach. I. Um, I don't see that. I, 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 who knows if it happens, but I can tell you right now, I would not be upset. Um, and congrats to him for heisting an NFL franchise because that buyout had to be 40 million. It was 40 million. He got fired three years into a seven year deal. They gave him a seven seven years. Oh my God. Yeah. Fired him three years in, walks away with 40 million. Um, That's and he no longer has to coach Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield. That is the life. Um, yeah. So uh, with Rule, I agree with you. Like, if they did end up hiring, I would ultimately be happy that we got him um, because people always point to him at Baylor winning. Like, I think they won eleven and three. Uh, he won ten games at Temple. I think he did it twice. And I know that you're whatever you're in the American, but. It's still Temple. <laughs> yeah, it's just, and it's also it's also a, a track. Yeah, Temple right now is an absolute train wreck. Like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, if you have had success everywhere you've gone at the college level, then you obviously know what you're doing. And he's left that trail of success at Temple, uh, at Baylor, um, and I think whichever program is able to hire him. Um, I mean, maybe he's like. I don't want to do this anymore. I have forty million dollars. I'm gonna take yeah. it here. And, and that's there's there's a thought out there that like since he has all that money, maybe he just waits a year. Yeah. But like some of these coaches are just like if he has the itch, then yeah, if you know? he if he if he wants to get back into it, then I mean I hope he at least considers ASU. Um, right. They should consider him. I, I don't even know he has to be like at the top of a short list in the top three and not three or two. And I feel like he's someone Crow could like sign off on, you know? Right. I'd be like, okay, like I know that this guy uh, was I successful in college ranks before, um, you know, not, <laughs> he wasn't a former client of Ray Anderson 15 years ago. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's but, like a relative, he's like a semi young guy for yeah, 47. That's yeah. Yeah. That's for, for coaching. Yeah. Like you, he could stick around if he has success, he could stick around for a while, for a long time. You know, he's from Pennsylvania too. And like, I feel like, like he's not like a Southern guy. Like he's, he's been everywhere, you know, he's in Texas, yeah, Northeast. Like I don't think that matters. Um, for yeah. him. I mean, obviously. Yeah. Like, if if he's if there's a mutual interest there, ASU needs to do everything in its power yeah. to get Matt Rule. Yeah. The so. thing, the reason why I'm not thinking about Matt Rule too much is <laughs> I just feel like him to Nebraska just makes so much sense, um, and they can pay more money than we can. Um, bigger job, uh, bigger fan base. 
Yeah. Easier to recruit. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I, I don't see a scenario where he ends up being ASU's coach. Like, there's just yeah too many other obstacles in the way. Um, if he was great, I don't see it happening though. Right. So. Um. Yeah. So, and the, and the thing with Matt Rule, what I wanted to get to with me is like, if we did end up hiring in this in the scenario that we do, uh. I would be happy, but I would not. I would still have the reservation of like he may he may not be the best guy out there though, just because he's a big name and he's won in the past in college football. That doesn't mean it will happen in the future. And maybe someone else, like a younger offensive mind, like a Dillingham or uh, who's the guy Coastal Carolina, um, Jamie. Oh, uh, yeah. Or if we miss it on Dion, like whatever. If if we commit to Matt Rule, that's like okay. Like I hope this guy can continue the success he had at Baylor and Temple here. Um, so we'll see. Ultimately, like, I would be happy if we hired him, though. I would just have – I wouldn't be, like, totally, like, 100% sold that it would work, though. I would be still a little skeptical, uh, as I would with most coaches getting hired. But um, ultimately, like, if AG was, was able to pull that off, that would be awesome because, look, he's a big name, too. And I think, like, getting a big name would be just – I feel like it would just be good for, like, the self-confidence of, like, the ASU just fan base as a whole. Like, oh, my gosh, we actually, like, accomplished this, you know? Right. Because if you hire a guano, then people, like, even if it does turn out to be a good hire, early on people, some people who don't like it would be like, oh, well, he was just a high school coach and yada, yada. Or uh, even if you hired Dillingham, people would be like, oh, he was a 32-year-old offensive coordinator, like, all this and that. Like, if you hire a rule, people would be like, yeah, you know, like, he – he was awesome in college before, and he was a big name. So we'll see what happens. Um, I don't. I I give this like a five percent chance of happening that it ends up being rule. But you know, he doesn't need the money. He, I mean, he had he got forty million dollars. It's not like he's a coach making his first big. Uh, that is a good point. It's like one of the big things for you know Nebraska or some other big school is like they can pay him more. But yeah. I feel like rule is in a position to pick the best job. Right. Yeah. Who knows if ASU is that job, but that's that adds an interesting wrinkle to this that that buyout and how much does that impact um the money that he's looking for or the yeah. importance that he places on money. And but, you know, maybe like I think ASU is a better job than Georgia Tech and I think most coaches would like ASU more. But maybe Rule like would like Georgia Tech more. I mean, he's living in Charlotte, so it's way closer to where you know, all his families and stuff. He's an East Coast guy. So maybe he would like to, like the idea of coaching at a place like Georgia Tech more. So who knows? But uh, we'll see. Going to be much more coaching talk. Um, maybe Real quick, be less, before we go. Coaching. What? Yeah. Before we go, how much did you put on Geno Smith to win MVP? <laughs> I should have put a lot on it, but I think the Seahawks yeah. defense is going to make that an impossibility because they're so bad. So. He might throw yeah. three touchdowns a game and still lose a lot of games. I don't know. The NFC West is not that strong this year. No, no. The Seahawks might be the second best team in the NFC West. Yeah, he could make a little run. Who knows? My uh, my Eagles Super Bowl bet is looking pretty good, but yeah. Um, I was thinking about throwing some money on Hurts, but I I didn't end up doing it. I so think, I, I feel like Hurts. The fact I feel like Josh Allen's gonna end up winning it this year. Yeah, he probably will. That's a good. That's a good pick. For he's gonna him. do. Yeah, and I feel like hurts. Like I feel like he's having a really good. Like he's a good player, and like he's clearly like ascended to like another level. But I also don't think like he's going. Like I feel like he'll have a few bumpy games here and there. Um, but what I'm, what I'm saying is for the odds he was going at before the right, season right. Oh, that's started. True. Yeah, I could I could have cashed out now for a nice little profit. He's got like the third third best odds. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's not crazy. They're gonna if if they can beat Dallas. Um, oh, if they beat Dallas, dude, you should see their their schedule after Dallas after yeah. the bye. It's like Texans, Steelers. Um, Although they might beat Dallas, and Hurts might still not have a good game just because Dallas has a really good defense. But yeah, that game's gonna be like seventeen to thirteen. Yeah. Good good old NFL uh, slugfest. That's not why the Panthers kind of come football. here. 
No. And and you know what? That's the type of type of football we do not want to see with the next ASU head coach as we wrap this episode up. We want some high flying offense that can take advantage of the local recruiting talent in the area. Doesn't that kind of sum it up? Yeah, Mark. Very well said. All right. Well, this is <laughs> Oh man. We're just we're just a couple of goofs. Um this has been episode 15 of the Stomp the Bus podcast, and uh, thanks for tuning in. As always, for Mark Harris, I'm Robbie Ray. <laughs> Just had to twist the knife. Um, I'm Mark. Sorry, Harris. that was really listening, sad. and uh, go Devils. <laughs>